Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. This week we're touring through Montana, a state I've been to a few times before. In fact, one of my favorite vacations of recent years involved renting a small cabin deep in the woods near a little town called Libby. From the town, it was a longish drive down a winding mountain highway until we got to a little bar on the side of the road the kind of place you wouldn't be surprised to see a lineup of motorcycles out front. A place to grab some beer and nachos. You know, the essentials. From there, it was an even windier dirt road that weaved between trees and boulders, climbing up the side of the mountain to our little cabin. Far enough into the wilderness to lose all cell reception. And internet access? Forget about it. I have to say it felt amazing to completely disconnect from the digital chaos of everyday life. The cabin was fairly standard fare, log exterior, but with running water and electricity, and one of the creepiest basements I think I've ever had the pleasure of wandering into. The days were warm but shaded, and the property was surrounded by hiking trails and burbling little streams that led up the mountainside to a waterfall that had carved a deep canyon between two rock faces. We spent the days exploring, reading and writing, doing art, 
But when night fell, and when you're surrounded by mountains as high and ragged as the Rockies, it falls fast. The entire tone of the forest changed drastically. It was still beautiful, don't get me wrong. With almost no light pollution, you could clearly see the glowing band of the Milky Way through the silhouetted limbs of the pine trees. But the sounds of the forest were so different, and the whole place just felt more foreign. The stillness made everything somehow louder, more intense. The chirp of crickets, the rustle of leaves, unfamiliar animal noises drifting out from the darkness, the sound of something large moving through the underbrush, breathing heavy and grunting deeply. It's the sort of thing that can't help but raise the hackles on your neck. I know it did mine. I'm sure it was a deer or a moose in the bush, something like that. But as you do in the pitch-black night, surrounded by strange wilderness, my brain conjured all kinds of possibilities. Although that was nothing compared to the horrific screaming we heard a few nights later. Sitting on the front porch of the cabin, having a couple of beers and playing some cards, I just remember my blood running cold at the sound. I'd watched YouTube videos and heard people talk about how terrifying the cry is, but if you've never heard a bobcat in the wild in person, it really does cause an icy chill to run down your spine. More of a primal reaction than any kind of conscious response. But when it sounds like a woman getting murdered in the forest, that's no surprise. But no matter what unnerving earthly things might lurk in the wilderness, if the tales are true, you might want to keep your eyes up if you're wandering Montana at night. Because the real terror comes from the skies. After life-threatening surgery, Linda Cowan's recovery was long and painful, more so even than she expected. But what woke her in the middle of the night Blankets tangled and sheets damp with sweat wasn't pain from the surgery. It was her dreams, vivid visions of herself as a child, in strange places surrounded by strange creatures. But they were only dreams, right? Maybe the result of her pain medication? The dreams felt so real, though. But when the visions persisted, and worse, began to happen when she was wide awake, she became convinced there was something deeper going on. They were too consistent, too repetitive. Linda now lived in Texas, but had grown up with her parents and brother on a ranch in Montana. If she wanted to start digging for answers, her first call would have to be to her big brother, Steve. A little bit sheepishly, she explained the visions to him about the strange people young her would interact with in her dreams, and the wholly foreign places they would sometimes go. Her brother seemed taken aback, but not for the reason she expected. You don't remember? he asked, incredulous. You were there. You talked with our little friends. I don't understand why you didn't remember this. There was no uncertainty in her brother's voice. He remembered the events clearly, and memorable they were. As kids, they often played in the fields and forests around their ranch near the town of Deer Lodge. 
but despite the two being the only kids in the immediate area, they were never lacking for friends. Friends, it turned out, who were something other than human. After speaking with her brother, Linda's curiosity began to soar. Together, the siblings decided to undergo hypnosis in an attempt to bring to the surface more memories. And after several sessions, Linda found a host of images of experiences begin to flood back into her mind. She remembered being taken aboard a strange vessel and coming face to face with a number of bizarre creatures. Not all of them seemed particularly friendly either. Although the one that stands out in her memory, with scythe-like forearms and wide black eyes, like a praying mantis, was one five-year-old Linda knew as the grasshopper lady. She, for the most part, was kind and considerate. With these newfound experiences fresh in her mind, Linda decided to see who else in her small community, if anyone, might have encountered things. So, for the first time in many years, she headed back to Deer Lodge, Montana. It took no time at all for her to start tracking down similar strange experiences. Interestingly, though, nearly all of the stories occurred at or near an area outside of town known as Redgate, a road that ends in a closed gate that bears only the tiniest slivers of its former crimson color, a popular place back in the day where kids would go parking and where a lot of strange occurrences seemed to be centered. She spoke with a number of local residents, each with their own set of experiences or stories from others they knew. The owner of the local bakery, Louis Menacucci, shared his experiences with strange lights in the sky and finding the mutilated remains of horses in the field not far from there. Others had chased similar lights for miles through the countryside, only to have them disappear, or in one case, to be chased off by strange mechanical noises. Bill Kelly, one of Linda's former high school classmates, told a story of the night he, his brother, and a friend were driving home from a dance in Deer Lodge. It was late, and the three were tired from the long evening. As they sped along the highway, they were surprised when a single bright light popped up in the rear view and began to speed up the road behind them. Bill remembers wondering aloud who the hell might be following them. No matter how hard Bill pushed on the gas, it still seemed to gain, faster and faster, brighter and brighter, until the entire interior of the car was ablaze with blinding light. And then, as suddenly as it appeared, it was gone. But there was a nagging sensation in Bill's mind that there was more to the story he was missing, part of the memory that just seemed slightly out of reach. At Linda's urging, he too underwent hypnotism, and the rest of the pieces began to fall into place. He remembered his brother and friend, having scrambled into the back seat of the Pontiac for a better look at their pursuer, yelling in fear, Go, Bill, go! But Bill was suddenly overtaken by curiosity. Instead, as if in a daze, he stopped the car and got out, the entire time unconsciously muttering under his breath, I'm not afraid, 
I'm not afraid. Bill stepped toward the blinding light and gazed up into it, oblivious to the fearful yells of the others from the car. My God, look at the size of the thing, he said. But here his story begins to falter. When pushed to describe what he was looking at, he could only say, I'm a little bit afraid. And then his body began to contort and writhe slightly in the hypnotist's chair. This is not good, he squeaked, his voice small and laced with panic. This is not good. The hypnotist gave up and brought Bill out of his trance, safe and sound, but with the piece of the mystery still intact. What I've shared with you is only a small fraction of the dozens of strange experiences residents of Deer Lodge had to share. And while they tend not to be shared as freely and often as they once were, there are plenty who swear similar incidents continue to happen to this day. It's not clear what might be drawing unearthly visitors to Redgate, but it's the stories of those strange and sometimes terrifying experiences that keep many of the human visitors coming back time and again. Speaking of strange and terrifying tales, I think it's time we spin up some of our own. Our first story for the evening comes from Cooper Anderson. Cooper Anderson was born in North Carolina, where he fell in love with all things strange and fantastic. After university, Cooper spent several years teaching English in southern Japan. He has since earned his master's degree in creative writing from the University of Glasgow in Scotland, where he lives with his partner, Amanda. He is one half of the creative force behind Arrow Key Studios, a brand new comic book studio whose first title, Inner Workings, a modern adaptation of the Jekyll and Hyde story, will be released soon. You can find other examples of his work in Silk and Smoke magazine, the Ripples in Space podcast, and the Dime Show Review. You can follow Cooper on Twitter at CooperTheWriter or on Facebook by searching Arrow Key Studios. Children of the Night, join me for Cooper Anderson's A Bedtime Story, previously published on the Ripples in Space podcast. I was nine years old the last time my dad told me a bedtime story. This, he said, as I snuggled under the covers, is the oldest story I know. It is the story of me and, in a way, you. The first thing I remember was being trapped in a circle, unable to move. Couldn't you just step out of it? I asked with all the eagerness and naivety of nine-year-olds everywhere. It wasn't that kind of circle, son, he explained. It was the kind you could step into, but not out of. The second thing I remember was a man dressed in purple robes. See, he was a bishop sent from the church to hunt me down, 
to punish me for all the bad things I'd ever done, and I had done a lot of bad things. I frowned at this, for I could not imagine my father ever doing anything wrong. I still can't. As I lay there, ensnared by the magic of that circle, the bishop called me a demon, and he was not wrong, not back then. The bishop spoke to me then in a language I could not understand, and when he was done, he raised an arm to me where something slick and purple sat in the palm of his hand. What was it? I asked. A heart, said my father. The heart of the last person I ever killed. I could not tell if he was joking then, but I was curious and wanted to hear the rest of the story. So... I said nothing and pulled my blanket closer. With a final curse upon his breath, the bishop stared into my eyes and pressed the heart deep into my chest. Don't worry, reassured my father, after seeing the look on my face. It wasn't painful, at least, not in the way that you might think. Weren't you hurt? I was everything, said my father. Sad, hurt, angry, overjoyed. I'd never had a heart before. It was all so... much. He paused then, as if remembering something from far away. I cried. I cried for so very long. I looked at him then, unsure of what to do or say. It was not like my father to talk like this, even during a bedtime story. Let's see, how can I describe it? Do you remember what it was like on your first day of kindergarten, and how everything was new, and you didn't know what to do first, so you cried until I came and got you? I nodded, embarrassed of my younger self. It was like that, only more. It's taken me a long time, and I've made many a mistake along the way, but I've learned that a heart is a heavy thing, and there are rules for having one. He scratched at his salt and pepper beard, searching for the right words to come to him. A heart can hurt you. It can lead you astray. By definition, it's where you're at your most vulnerable. But a heart can also heal, and often teaches us as it does so. And if you're lucky enough to find the right gardener, A heart can also bloom. My father sat there at the end of my bed, watching over me, just as he'd done every night for as long as I could remember. You can even give it away if you want, said my father. Most people do. However, I'm sure that's something you'll find out for yourself when you're older. He smiled at me then in the dim light of my bedroom. You're my heart now, son. Despite my eagerness to keep listening, sleep was already taking me, and through a long, drawn-out yawn I heard myself say, I love you too, Dad, and began to nuzzle in the soft embrace of my pillow. The lamp on my bedside table went out with a soft click, and the world was dark. A bristly kiss brushed against my forehead, and for the faintest of moments I thought I felt a single hard thump in the centre of my chest, but it was gone in an instant. 
I have to go now, he whispered in my ear. I can't stay here without a heart. That's another rule. Can I have another story tomorrow? I asked, already half asleep. All my father said was, If you're good. The next morning, when I saw that he'd gone, I cried. I cried for so very long. That was Cooper Anderson's A Bedtime Story, as read by Dan Raybarts. Dan Raybarts is the author of the grimdark steampunk madcap fantasy novel Brothers of the Knife, first in the Children of Bane series, and co-authors the supernatural crime noir thriller series The Path of Ra with Lee Murray. He has narrated stories for Tales to Terrify, Pseudopod, and Beneath Ceaseless Skies, among others and is currently producing and narrating the audiobook for the first Path of Ra novel, Hounds of the Underworld. He has been the recipient of the Australian Shadows Award three times, and New Zealand's Sir Julius Vogel Award four times. Find him on the web at dan.raybarts.com. Thank you, Dan. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Our second story comes from C.C. Smith. C.C. Smith is a previously unpublished writer with a passion for fantasy and dark fantasy. She currently teaches English in Japan and is doing her best to learn how to speak Japanese. Cece is also a belly dancer. She has been belly dancing since she was 11 and likes to think she is pretty good at it. Listen with me, children of the night, to C.C. Smith's Peripheral Work, a Tales to Terrify original.
I run my hand through my hair. Remember that I haven't showered in three days and stamp out my cigarette. It's mid-May in Missouri, but I've wrapped myself in the hotel bed's comforter and the heater's on. The room is unbearably hot for now, and I intend to enjoy every moment of it. I'm sitting on a floral armchair and looking through the rain-smudged window of the Maker's Motel, room 327, just outside the Kansas City limit. Outside, street lamps illuminate one of the last stretches of two-lane highway before the road explodes into six lanes of barely contained chaos. Across the highway is a billboard that's beginning to peel away at the corner, declaring, Advertise here, in fading block letters. Only a few sets of headlights trickle through past midnight on a Monday. There's a timid knocking at the door. Come in, I say, reaching for my pack of Marlboro Red 100s. Tentatively, the knob turns and a 40-something woman steps inside. Um, hello, she says. Miss Pamela Carroll, I say by way of greeting. Yes, and you must be... An immaculately drawn-on pair of eyebrows rise. Delia? I nod. Come in. Lock the door, please. Pamela's in good shape and has a neatly cut bob that doesn't quite reach the light blue cardigan on her shoulders. Pamela is not your typical guest at Makers, and as she turns to lock the door, I half expect her to bust out a handkerchief so she won't have to touch the knob. Both locks, please. Pamela purses her lips, which are overdrawn to appear fuller, and turns to slide the secondary chain lock into place. When she turns around, she just stares at me, like she can't decide if I'm a coyote or a cockroach. I notice the slightest dip in the room's temperature. I ignore it, for now, by reaching for my kitchen lighter and igniting another cigarette. Ah, says Pamela, still eyeing me. It's a little warm in here. It is, I agree. I exhale and point to my sunglasses. Sorry about these. They're the most gaudy, wankerific, steampunk sunglasses you can imagine. But I need them, because they have functioning blinders on the sides. I can only see them out of my peripherals, and I need to get set up before I interact, I explain. Usually, I just wear glasses instead of contacts, but once I'm on the job, I need my peripherals. These sunglasses go on immediately after the contacts do. Pamela crinkles her nose. I don't like to be around cigarette smoke. Well, hopefully we only have to do this once. Pamela tries to smile, but it's more of a grimace. Please sit. Pamela sits on the edge of the bed, barely putting any weight on it. As she shifts her weight around, I feel the coldness trickle in after her. Little goosebumps rise on the back of my neck. So, she says after a moment, you're Estella's friend? Huh, Estella. Her real name's Margot, but she's been going by Estella since we were in the 11th grade and swears the name change helps keep clientele steady. Estella's only sensitive to ghosts, meaning that if there's a shade lurking around, Estella will be able to sense it, but she can't interact. Most of the time, Estella can't even see a ghost. She has a vibe for shades, but her body and mind are still firmly, blessedly, rooted with the living. Estella is my best friend, and she's also the new age goth queen in and around Kansas City, so if someone wants to relieve themselves of a haunting, Estella's the girl to call. 
most of these people are paranoid. And having Estella show up in black lipstick and a flowy dress to burn some sage puts their mind at ease. Once in a while, there's a real haunting. Estella sends these people to me, after collecting her consultation fee, of course. Unlike Estella, my sense for ghosts is so fine-tuned it's crippling. It's also how I make my living. I don't have business cards, I'm not on Facebook, and you won't ever get referred to me unless your ass has been confirmed to be authentically haunted. I'll not go to what I like to call the shade site or even begin to approach it, so I don't have a good reason to. It's too draining. See, I don't just tap into the shade side whenever I want. I have to constantly remind myself to stay with the living, solid side of reality. When I do go shade side, it's like I'm going deep sea diving with unreliable gear. I get cold. I can barely breathe. I don't belong, and the effects of my descent tend to linger long after I resurface. Estella said that my case was too severe for her, Pamela chokes on her words, not quite meeting my eye. Yeah, we've known each other for ages. Estella sends me the tougher jobs. Oh. Pamela would much prefer Estella's dark earth aesthetic to my dirty jeans and old sweatshirt, but personal presentation doesn't count for much when you're dealing with a ghost. So, I say, we're here about your sister, Mabel, right? Yes. Pamela's shoulders crunch in at the mention of her haunting, and her gaze flits down to her lap. Any reason she decided to follow you? Pamela opens and closes her mouth a few times before she can get the words to come out. She... she was always... sick. Ever since she was young. Pamela frowns. She got pneumonia and refused to go to the hospital for weeks. When we finally did get her to go, the doctor said that her body couldn't take care of itself anymore. We had to put her on hospice. Pamela tries to keep control of her voice, but helplessness pushes its way through. We had a family member with her around the clock. I was the only one there when she passed. I nod. You were the last living thing around. It'd be easiest for her spirit to latch onto you. Pamela shrugs and rubs her arms. And when exactly did you start to notice that she was still with you? I say. I think it was just a few weeks after she died. I'm not sure. I didn't really realize what was happening at first. That's pretty standard. It's not the first conclusion you jump to, you know. Of course. What was happening is best as you can remember. I started to wake up in the middle of the night. I've never had a problem with sleeping, but it's a pretty normal issue, not being able to go to bed, and after the loss, I didn't think it was anything strange. One of my friends told me I should try taking melatonin supplements. Pamela hesitates. That's when you realized something was wrong, I prompt. Well, yes. That night I woke up again, and I could hear laughing. I checked on the kids, but they were both asleep, so I laid back down. Thought I must have imagined it. But it kept happening. It's awful, Pamela says, pushing a tear from her eye. On nights when she's not there, I dream about her and wake myself up. When she does visit, I get fever chills. My husband wouldn't believe me at first, but pictures started falling off the walls and she kept pushing our centerpiece from the table. So we started looking for help. We, we asked around and eventually we got sent to Estella. 
And lucky for you, Estella is how you get to me. My client hiccups. I don't really do well with displays of emotion. Well, I say, shall we get started? Please. I sigh, reach down to grab a beat-up duffel bag and start to set up. I spread out a worn piece of black velvet on the table and put a dollar store mirror in its center. Around the velvet go three black candles, and lastly, on top of the mirror, goes a bright red candle. I like to keep my layout simple. Estella told you to bring some bait, I ask when I'm done arranging things. Pamela produces a can of piss water beer from her tote. Estella said food and drink were the best way to go. This was her favorite. Estella's right. Just set that on the table for now. I sit for a moment and stare towards the billboard, watching its loose corner dance in the wind. You know, smoking that much is bad for you. I laugh. Your sister and all the other shades I have to remind to stay on their side of the veil will get me killed way before these do. We sit in silence for a beat. I'm gonna take my glasses off when I'm done with this. So then you'll be able to see her. I nod. Two rules. Number one, stay out of my way. If I move towards you, get out of my way. If I look like I'm sick or in trouble, don't come near me. Pamela nods. Number two, do not leave this room. I repeat, do not leave this room. The spirit has latched itself onto you and I can't deal with it if you run away. Pamela nods again and starts fidgeting with her wedding ring. The temperature in the room continues to sink. The sounds from the highway and TV next door begin to fade away. I resign myself to begin my work, ignite the black candles, and close my eyes. I start to slip away from the solid, living aspect of myself. I steer my thoughts towards the cold. If my body was a house... Going shade side would be like someone leaving the door open in the middle of winter. The reasonable thing to do is slam the door shut and retreat to the warmer part of my mind. But instead, I gingerly make my way out the door. My mind begins its descent into the shadow of where I'm sitting. Goosebumps prickle all over my skin. The cold weighs on my muscles, making them stiff and jerky. The simple act of removing a dog's choke collar from my duffel bag is cumbersome. With clumsy fingers, I strap it to my thigh. I give the collar a few tugs just to double-check everything's on right. This is my lifeline. I wind the end of it around my belt loop to keep it from falling. Having finished my preparations, I settle back into the chair. The cold is starting to bite at my cheeks. And while the room around me isn't going anywhere, it all starts to feel less real. I know I'm sitting on a chair, but I can't feel the impression it makes on my back. I drum my fingers on the armrest to test if it's still there. And instead of cheap cloth, all I can feel is a dull thud inside my numbed digits. Remember the rules, I say as I reach for my sunglasses. Don't move and stay here. Stick to that and we'll be fine. I remove my blinders. My stomach shrivels. My body shudders. I try to set my glasses on my lap, but my fingers are too cold to bend all the way, and I end up dropping them. 
It feels like I'm falling, but I don't move as I transition from existing within the solid to with the shades. The waxy shine of the red candle is muted. What was a screaming crimson on the solid side looks more like rust on the shade side. Pamela is about as clear as if I was seeing her through murky water. I shift my gaze around the room, slowly, paying attention to the edges of my vision. Even though I've done this a hundred times before, even though I knew what to expect when I came here, my body still tenses in alarm when I see her. Mabel is a vaguely human-shaped mass of shadow hovering next to the door. I train my eyes to look into the center of the room, keeping her in the margins where I can see her. I pick up the can of beer and manage to crack it open with graceless fingers. I hate how my body immediately begins to absorb the deadness of the shade side, but I do my best to look confident and able-bodied. Shades crave life above all else, and the more fiery I look, the easier it is for me to attract Mabel. Mabel Carroll, I have a gift for you. My voice sounds different, Shadeside, both loud and distant, like I'm yelling at someone from an opposite end of a football field during a storm. The shadow next to the door begins to materialize into a more human figure. From my peripherals, I can make out faint traces of color, shaping limbs and a girl's figure. Mabel Carroll, come forward. I brought you a memory from your life. Mabel's chosen to spend her afterlife as a 20-something version of herself, which is pretty standard, especially with people who never go on to accomplish much as they age. You can tell from the faint color about her that her wiry hair was mousy brown in life and she wears a full-length pink dress. Her eyes are bright in an impish, uninviting way. I raise the can of beer. Mabel's shade smiles, and I can just barely make out a set of teeth that were already starting to rot before her 30th birthday. Slowly, Mabel takes a step forward, and I shift my gaze to keep her in my sight. She stops for a moment and cocks her head to one side. Drink for me, she commands. In addition to being stupid, ghosts are thankless. I show up willing to give her a taste of the past life she's lusting after, and rather than a thank you, she's giving me orders. She has no care for what hosting a shade does to the living. All her thoughts are for what she can get out of me for herself. Having a ghost inside you is one of the most violating things you can imagine. They barge into your own headspace. They take up the room where you think and scream their own simple, selfish thoughts inside of you. You're sharing the most personal part of yourself, and the sensation is horrific. I've never had dry ice force-fed down my throat and then had my mouth duct-taped shut. But I imagine that having a shade inside of you feels about the same. It's cold and cruel, and once the entity is out of you, you still get phantom chills. Like I said earlier, ghosts are dumb. I don't have my job because manipulating ghosts is a hard thing to do. I have my job because, for whatever reason, my soul has the ability to go shade-side, which means I can talk to ghosts. If you have the ability, which is extremely rare, getting ghosts to do what you want is pretty routine. Very well, I say. Come forward. 
Mabel cackles at this. She steps ahead and becomes about as solid as a shade can get. She cocks her head to the other side, considers me for a moment, and then moves forward, out of my field of vision. I want nothing more than to run, to vanish from the shade's side before she can get to me, but I force myself to stay still like a dog that's too loyal to an abusive owner. I can't see Mabel, but I can feel the coldness of her shade as it approaches me. My shoulders cringe towards my ears and I give an involuntary shudder. Mabel laughs at my discomfort. You will drink for me, girl? I can feel my internal organs recoil at Mabel's voice, but I will my feet to stay in place. I will, I force myself to say. I feel a cold, biting wind that brings tears to my eyes, and then my entire self is transgressed in a way so completely and absolutely that my knees buckle. I crumble, despite how familiar I am with the sensation. Drink for me, Mabel coos. Her voice exists only inside of me. It's replaced my inner monologue and is reverberating through my head like a bouncy ball ricocheting all over a broom closet. A whimper escapes me as I raise the can to my lips. Yes, girl, she says. Her satisfaction isn't mine, but I feel it. Having a feeling inside of me that isn't my own makes my heart palpitate. But I begin to drink. I hate how happy she is inside of me and I hate how she's using my body for her own shallow satisfaction. But I ignore my own wants and drink like a rat that's just been poisoned. As I drink, loathing myself and filled with Mabel's gratification, I free the end of the choke chain on my thigh and yank on its tail. Mabel is not bothered by the physical discomfort of 30 pins being pressed into our shared body. All her attention is going to the taste of cheap beer being sucked down my gullet. With the part of my mind that's still my own, I zero in on the chain and scream my thoughts loud enough to overpower Mabel's. I wrench my spirit upwards, dragging Mabel with me. I pull on the chain again, harder this time, and I can feel the pins in my leg all the way up to the back of my eyes. I have a body, I scream in my head. It is real and warm, and I don't belong here. I start to feel myself fall up. The cold around me slackens while the cold inside of me remains where it is, making me feel gross and dirty and so, so, so uncomfortable inside my own skin. I drag the frozen secondary spirit with me. Mabel puts up no resistance. When I'm back, I toss the can to the side and waste no time in seizing the kitchen lighter. With frozen fingers, I clench its trigger. I hold it to the red candle and say, Mabel, Carol, go into the candle. I feel a sharp, pinching, cold zip through my arm and out my fingers into the flame of the red candle. Mabel, Carol, go to the mirror. My will pushes at Mabel, forcing her down and towards the mirror. The flame flickers, but she does not leave it. Instead, Mabel clings to me like ice sticks to bare skin. To the mirror, I say with quivering teeth. The candle sputters. Get in the mirror, you bitch, shrieks Pamela.
That does the trick. The red candle's flame flares for a moment, then it whooshes out. Immediately, the three black ones all fizzle out at once. I grab the red candle with both hands, bring it over my head, and drive it into the mirror. I bring the candle down again, and before I can come down a third time, there's a hotel Bible being pummeled relentlessly into the mirror. My jaw drops. I look up, taken aback at how much fight Pamela has. She smashes the mirror until it has the consistency of fine, shimmering gravel and then drops the Bible and sinks to the floor, her back to the bed. I scrape out my contacts with all the urgency of a recently maced bear. Hand quivering, I reach for my cigarettes and light up, and the burn down my windpipe thaws my frozen lungs. My breath comes in jagged, uneven pieces, and I snuggle back into the comforter like a turtle shrinking back into its shell. I can't see anything without my contacts, and I don't want to. I don't want to see. I don't want to be susceptible. I just want to feel warm again. After a long moment of us both sitting in silence, Pamela asks, So, is she gone? I exhale. More or less. I bound her inside the mirror. She glances at the mirror dust on the table. And what happens now that she's inside all that? I gather my thoughts before I answer and reach a hand out of the comforter to grope in my duffel bag. I find my glasses, which aren't narrow wire frames, and put them on slowly. I return my hand to the safety of the blanket and close my eyes before I answer. There's a few different ideas on that. Since there's no solid bodies on the shade side, shades need to attach themselves to something alive or they'll just get sucked back to the other side of the veil. Mabel was attached to you, and she jumped from you to me when I offered myself up to her. We forced her to move from me to the mirror. Some people think that when the mirror shatters, they go back home. Other people say that being in something solid that's broken beyond repair traps them. They can't leave because their vessel's fractured, but they can't go home because they're still attached to all the tiny little pieces of it. And what do you believe? I open my eyes slowly. Truthfully, I'm not sure. All I know is that it's the most effective way I've been able to find to get rid of a ghost. Do you think she'll come back? No, not unless you call her back in a seance or something of the sort. Pamela raises an eyebrow. But I don't think that's very likely. She pulls the manila envelope from her purse. Well... Thank you for your services. I nod, open the envelope, count 15 crisp hundred dollar bills and put the money back in. Do you need help cleaning that? Pamela points at the mirror. Nope, that's what maids are for. Are you sure? Don't worry, they don't ask questions. That's why we come here. Hmm. This time I think she means it when she smiles. Well, thank you. Do you have a business card? Nope. All appointments are set up strictly through Estella. She's a very nice girl, Pamela says. She gives me a confused look, or maybe it's sympathetic. I'm too tired to tell. Take care now. Ta. When Pamela leaves, I do my best to even out my breathing. 
I try to push Mabel and all the other ghosts I've dealt with from my mind and focus on the warm air from the heater caressing my skin and on how good the blanket feels around me. I'm back. I'm safe. I let myself sit for a long moment in the stuffy room and replay happy memories in my head. My grandmother teaching me how to ride a bike. Estella and I spending long nights talking into the morning about anything that might take our fancy. In simpler times when I was a barista instead of a petty exorcist. It takes a long time for me to begin to feel warm. It'll be another few days before I feel properly warm, or as close as someone like me gets to being properly warm. But I start to wrap my head around the idea that I will be all right. I collect my candles and shake out the velvet before putting them all back into my duffel bag. I stuff the envelope into my underwear, because this is exactly the sort of place where someone might lift your purse off you when you're going to your car. When I'm done, I stare at my hands for a moment. My fingers still twitch with spurts of cold that shoot through my nerves. My body feels sick and broken after housing Mabel, but I console myself with the knowledge that it will all be mostly gone in a few days and I won't have to worry about money for a few weeks. It's a short-term gain, but I try to keep my mind trained on the positive. I don't bother locking the room when I leave and the woman at the front desk just nods without looking up from her Cosmo when I set the keys on the counter. I make my way back to my car slowly, warily, and crank the heat when I make it inside. I turn the headlights on and light another smoke. The radio plays a crackly version of a classic rock song I'm too tired to recognize. I grow up in the back seat for a blanket, spread it over my lap, and make my way back toward the Kansas city limit. That was C.C. Smith's Peripheral Work, as read by Alex Ford. Alex Ford spends most of her time cooped up in a closet reading to herself. Sometimes she edits and narrates books, too. She likes cats, food, wine, and scary stories best. She likes you, too. Feel free to make contact on Instagram at SeriouslyAlex, or to be summarily ignored on Facebook though she does occasionally open the messenger. Thank you, Alex. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Support us on Patreon for access to ad-free episodes and bonus content. Visit patreon.com slash tales to terrify to sign up. Or if PayPal's more your style, you can support us via the link near the bottom of our homepage at tales to terrify.com. And if you've got a minute to spare, we'd love it if you'd pop over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating or a review. Reviews are huge to a volunteer-run podcast like ours. They help keep us on the charts so we can seep into the ears of new listeners. Tales to Terrify is produced 
by Seth Williams, Pete Morsellino, Meredith Morgenstern, Julia Zellman, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we fall deep into darkness with more Tales to Terrify. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.